tuned in to WMNF Tampa, where we don't test our programming on animals. We know the universe loves good music and the truth. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11, we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Today, we are talking with some experts from the Brevard Zoo. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the wonderful Annie Ellis. Hi, Hi, Annie. Hey, Kenny. And Kenny is doing Zoom because he's not feeling very well. So we're just thrilled that you were able to actually get on uh, and be on the show today. Thank you. Yes. I almost uh, almost wasn't on it either. My cat got really sick and I was just about ready to go to the vet, but they've made a different appointment. So the world works in the right way, I guess. So how are you feeling? I'm uh, doing pretty good. This past weekend, I was at the Lou Gardens yes. uh, plant sale and... Extravaganza. Exactly. <laughs> if listeners have been to the Green Thumb Festival in St. Pete at that uh, Walter Fuller Park, it's Lou a- Gardens is similar to that, but maybe even one and a half times that. Really? Wow. I didn't it know that. Was- I, didn't, I haven't been to it. It so, was amazing. That was your but first was time, so tiring. too, right? Yeah. yeah. Each day for the vendors was about a 10-hour day. Wow. Plus the and, setup. You had to set up prior to, right? And you're not allowed to set up on Saturday. Usually the plant cells allow you to set up, you know, a few hours before the show starts. But for this event, it's so big, you have to set up on Friday. Oh, Wow. So, and then the breakdown, I'm sure, takes a long time with getting in and out of that place, right? That's exactly right. There's a long queue of 100 vendors. Is that with, how many vendors were there? 100? Yeah, with uh, trailers, U-Hauls, all sure. that. Sure, wow. And, of course, we have to thank my unpaid interns. Your parents. <laughs> Did you have them come at this time especially for that? Yeah, yes. Well, that was very great. Good timing, yes. and you have the best parents. They are so nice. They are so lovely. Yes, they are. All right. So today, oh, I just... I want to say something. One more thing. Sure. Okay. So I just got my Palmetto uh, magazine, which is the Florida Native Plant Society, because I'm a member. And I opened it up, and right in the middle is Growing Florida's Carnivorous Plants. This is this whole huge thing that Kenny Coogan wrote. And he does so many things, y'all. I didn't even know he'd done this. So he's like constantly surprising me. And there is a beautiful photograph in here of a bunch of bathtubs uh, out in the uh, out in somebody's, I don't know, store or something like that with carnivorous plants growing all that. It's just gorgeous. Nice job, Kenny. Nice job. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to seeing it in print. I just got that uh, proof about a week ago. Oh, okay. I'll All right. So I see our guests on Zoom. I'm excited to have them. And Annie, can you introduce them? Sure. Uh, let's see. We have Olivia. Um, <clears throat> 
<laughs> I'm going to say it. Let's see. Escandel, Escandel, and she's a conservation uh, manager at the Brevard Zoo and has been overseeing the Restore Our Shores program for the past two years. Olivia's passion for marine conservation is sparked by her upbringing in Satellite Beach. Oh, that's a beautiful place, Florida, along with uh, along the shores of the Indian River Lagoon and the Atlantic Ocean. This year, the Brevard Zoo will be also be launching into seagrass restoration. Good job, in an effort to accelerate seagrass recovery after a 90% loss in coverage in the Indian River Lagoon. And we also have Amy Ray... Ray Mu, I don't know that one. You're gonna have to. I know they're they're tricking us today. They with are. Their last it's, names. It's, you know, we needed to have it sounded out, I guess. But <laughs> but anyway, Amy uh, has been with the Brevard Zoo for 14 years, where she's um, has led conservation efforts to protect and restore species population, ranging from diamondback terrapins to Atlanta butterflies. Oh, lovely! Uh, Florida amphibians to mangroves. As the Brevard Zoo Conservation Fund Grant Administrator for a decade, Amy built relationships with over 90 international wildlife conservation organizations to support their programs with more than $750,000 made possible by zoo guest admissions and memberships. That's incredible. And she also created the Zoo Wildlife Emergency Fund. Wow. First off, I want y'all to uh, welcome to the show. We're thrilled that you're here, and I would love it if you could say your full names. <laughs> That'd be great. Thank you so much. Good morning. And who, who am I speaking <laughs> we did, with? We put you to the test with our last names. I can't see you. <laughs> Only Kenny can see you because he's on Zoom. So if you can okay. speak to me like I'm on the radio and you're there, that would be awesome. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's uh, Amy. Amy, can yes. you tell us how you say your last name for us? Absolutely. It's actually a family debate, but it's either Rome, which is what I Rome. go by, or Reem. So Reem. Rome is nicer. Yeah. Or I respond. <laughs> <laughs> and then Olivia, uh, how do you say your last name? Hi, my name is Olivia Escandel. So you did a pretty good oh, job. Oh, very good. <laughs> Thank you. I knew my accent wasn't right, but it never is. <laughs> so, uh, Kenny, I, the, Kenny, these are his guests uh, because, you know, we, we go around and find whoever uh, we think would be great for this program. And so I think uh, in all uh, reality, Kenny should probably go ahead and start out with the, some questions. Um, so then we'll, we'll roll from there. Does that sound good? Sounds, sounds good. great. Okay, good. So, Amy and Olivia, you're at the Brevard Zoo. Can you tell us where the Brevard Zoo is? Last week we had the Florida Aquarium on, and I'm kind of, for this month, I'm kind of getting all these different cultural institutions because Florida listeners of WMNF want to visit cultural institutions. They want to support it, but they also want to know if these businesses are sustainably minded. So can you tell us where the Brevard Zoo is and what uh, some of your roles are in your current positions? Amy, do you wanna go first? Sure, yeah, we are located in Brevard County, um, which is in central Florida. We're about uh, 45 minutes from Orlando, about maybe 20 minutes or so from Cocoa Beach. So we are close to the coast. And as Olivia will talk to you about today, um, we are really involved in conservation um, right here in our backyard to, to help our coastal waters. 
Uh, you know what? Before we go any further, I want to. I, I don't think that either one of us announced that uh, where we are in our telephone numbers. So if you want to be a part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663. Text us at 813-433-0885 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we'll read it on the air. And I'll do the best I can because I don't normally do this. So there you go. <laughs> All right, Olivia, can you tell us about uh, your role at the Brevard Zoo? Yes, so um, I have worked at the Brevard Zoo for about five years now um, in the conservation department, and I work on our Restore Our Shores team, which is an Indian River Lagoon habitat restoration program. So we work with many different um, keystone species in the lagoon, like oysters, clams, mangroves, and seagrass, um, which you guys also have over in Tampa Bay. So very similar work, um, the Indian River Lagoon, as you've probably seen in the news, um, has many trials and tribulations <laughs> um, with over 90% of seagrass loss from, um, you know, decades of anthropogenic nitrogen pollution into the lagoon, causing large algae blooms that have clouded out our seagrass. Um, and there's been a lot of other ecosystems that have suffered like mangroves and oysters and clams. So trying to bring those natural filter feeders back um, to help the wildlife in our own backyard. So a lot of people are like, why is a zoo like out <laughs> in the lagoon doing restoration work? So our job is to help the wildlife outside of the zoo and connect the community to nature in that way. So I want to ask you a question because of just what you just said. Um, are you saying that it is from um, the residential um, um, runoff uh, that has caused this all this time? Or is this something that is on a commercial larger scale? And I know that the red tide is what uh, it it, it covers up the ox or the light. So the grass dies. Is that what's happening with the others? Please. So in the Indian River Lagoon, especially in our portion of the lagoon, so we're kind of the mid to northern portion of the lagoon. The lagoon spans five or six counties along the east coast of Florida. So down farther south, they do have um, commercial runoff okay. uh, through Lake O, but up north where we are, it's, it's more so um, residential and commercial property stormwater, but not agricultural runoff. So we do have uh, nitrogen pollution, nutrient pollution in the lagoon from runoff, um, but more so just from you know development from people loving to live on the lagoon. Um, it is a great place to live, but all those impermeable surfaces and then septic tanks right along the lagoon have caused a lot of nutrient pollution. Oh, so septic tanks are still legal there? Yes. Wow, surprising. <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, Brevard County is doing a lot of work to um, update septic systems. So, uh, you know, provide advanced treatment grants um, for people to improve their septic tanks and then also convert areas onto sewer. But it is very difficult and it would be extremely expensive to, you know, bring everybody over to sure. sewer. Sure. Um, but there is work being done to hopefully reduce the number of septic tanks. Do you guys do you guys have outlaw the uh, sale of uh, the nitrogen uh, fertilizers at certain times of year over there? 
We do have a summer fertilizer ban. So I believe it starts in June and lasts through September. Um, so we do have a summer fertilizer ban. That's good to hear. Kenny? So Amy, can you tell us how you describe sustainability? Absolutely. Um, so I always lead with what sustainability is because I think a lot of different people, different things come to mind when they hear the word sustainability. Um, so really it's it's a holistic process and it's a system and a way of doing things. Um, sustainability is all about the ability of, of meeting our needs today, but without compromising future generations' ability to meet their own needs. Um, so I always tell people there's three pillars of sustainability, um, the economic, the environmental, um, and um, I'm missing one, economic, environmental, and social. That's yes. the other one. <laughs> people, planet, and prosperity. <laughs> I always say people, planet, and prosperity. Yes. So when I have to actually use a different term, I always forget. <laughs> it's all about finding that balance between um, having a healthy planet, having people that are prospering, and having a healthy economy to support all of that. And Amy, you're the Conservation Fund Grand Administrator for Brevard Zoo, and you've been there for 14 years. When you started, a civil authority has issued tornado warning for the following counties or areas. Sarasota, Florida, at 11.14 a.m. on March 13, 2023, effective until 11.44 a.m. The National Weather Service in Ruskin has issued a tornado warning for northwestern Sarasota County in west-central Florida until 1,130 a.m. EDT. At 1,114 a.m. EDT, a radar-indicated water spout was located just offshore over South Sarasota, or near Sarasota, moving east at 20 miles per hour. Hazard, tornado, source, radar-indicated rotation, impact, flying debris will be dangerous to those caught without shelter. Mobile homes will be damaged or destroyed. Damage to roofs, windows, and vehicles will occur. Tree damage is likely. This tornado will be near Southgate Ridge, Ridgewood Heights, Gulf Gate Estates and Southgate around 1,125 a.m. EDT. Sarasota Springs around 1,130 a.m. EDT. Other locations impacted by this tornadic thunderstorm include B Ridge, Vamo and Fruitville. Tornado, radar indicated max hail size less than 0.75 and take cover now. If your home is flooded, avoid flood waters. If possible, take shelter in an interior room. Avoid windows. If you are outdoors, in a mobile home, or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. Building management, purchasing, um, chemical management and just building that culture of sustainability within all of our staff and our volunteers and then sharing all of that um, with our guests and our members and out in the community as well to, to uh, build awareness about how people can live a more sustainable life. So you're doing uh, your waste management. What are you doing with that? How does that work? So um, everything from our recycling with our guests to the herbivore waste. So literally any kind of waste that we have at the zoo, um, looking for ways to divert that from the landfill. So 
Um, thanks to waste management, we received a grant a few years ago to build an aerated static pile compost system um, that is in the back of the zoo. Yeah, it, it takes care of a lot of animal waste. So we have all of our herbivores, you can imagine, between giraffes and rhinos and um, all of those really big hoofstock. We have a lot of poo. <laughs> and so we're able to use our compost facility um, to not only divert that from the landfill, which helps to help, it helps the environment, but it also saves the zoo money, which we're able to put back into our mission. And um, in addition to that, it allows our landscaping crew to to have a source of compost for landscaping as well. So you're, uh, it's all used by your facility. Is it available to the public or all used? Currently, by we yeah. Currently, we use it all on on. Wow, ground. that's wonderful. Yeah, that's yeah. very good. That's a lot of waste. It is a lot, a lot of poo. <laughs> Literally tons. So you said something about the recycling too. Are you reducing yeah. the plastic use at your facility? And so then it's uh, not as, you know, in your, in your uh, loop. Uh, how's that going? Is, I mean, I know that uh, the, the, um, uh, aquarium is, uh, they have a goal of, uh, zero plastic within a certain period of time. And I just didn't know if you guys were doing some things like that to try to reduce waste because recycling isn't Definitely. really working very well. So I was just I'm wondering. so glad that you mentioned that. Thank because you. Because that's, I, whenever I talk about sustainability, I always say, you know, reduce and reuse that's right. at the front of the three and Refuse. Refuse is the new R <laughs> and in refuse, the front. Yeah, and yeah. rethink all of the other there things. There you go. Recycling is at the end for a reason. Absolutely. It is last resort. But yes, to answer your question, we are definitely looking at at all of the different ways to reduce waste overall, but in particular plastics. And that's really where our story began when it comes to um, sustainability is we opened up our sea turtle healing center, uh, which is a sea turtle hospital here at the zoo in 2014. And we'd always had a green team and we're looking at ways to be more sustainable. Um, but we, when we started seeing sea turtles that were hatchlings off of our very own beaches being washed back and having their entire intestinal tract filled with microplastics, oh. those were our baby sea turtles that were you know, nested and hatched on our beaches. They were swimming through our waters and that was our plastic. And I think it, it really drove home that there is just so much more that we needed to be doing. And so we, from there, took a look at one of our highest impact events. It's uh, called Jazz Zoo. We have it every November. It's a sort of a music festival and a food and wine festival as well. And prior to 2017, we had been using single-use plastics because we thought that was our only option. Mm -hmm. um, and we came back from a plastic pollution conference, a couple of staff members and myself uh, that were on our green team in 2017. Uh, that was a conference that was put on by the South Carolina Aquarium. Um, was so impactful. And we came back and just said, you know, there's no way that we can host this event the way that we've done it in the past because it just does not align with our mission and what we're trying to accomplish as an organization. And fortunately, we have very supportive leadership that uh, we didn't have any answers to any questions, but they said, if you can figure out how to do it, we support you and just let us know what you need. And we took a look at all of our different options and just realized when you have about 2000 guests and 50 vendors, which is what we have for that event, um, you can't really have a bunch of different waste options. It's going to confuse people. You're going to end up with a lot of contamination. So we realized that um, having only one waste receptacle was going to work best for us. And that was going to be for composting. 
So we converted all of the items that guests had in their hands for the event uh, to compostable items that were made from um, sugarcane and found a local, actually close to you guys uh, in Tampa, we found a commercial composting facility who was able to accept our waste. And we're happy to say that in 2017, that converted to a zero waste event. And we've been able to do it a low waste or zero waste event every single year. I am so then, proud of you. I am just beaming here. It was very difficult. Florida. Yes, is, um, it is. You know, it's, if you're in Seattle or somewhere sure. in the Pacific Northwest, something, you know, pulling off a zero waste event is not as difficult. People are because wanting they, to do it there. Yeah. Right. The average person. Yeah. Red, readily available commercial composting. Ugh. In fact, it's actually... Um, illegal in some places like Seattle to throw away uh, things that can be composted. But in Florida, we don't have a huge number of commercial compost facilities. And the ones that do exist um, have sometimes limited number of things that they can take. So they may be able to take food, but they couldn't take the eco products, which were the type of um, compostable items that we were using to serve Mm -hmm. food on, um, or vice versa. So it is different every single year. We have different challenges that come up, but we're able to jump those hurdles. And um, we're now currently working with a commercial composter in St. Augustine. Um, And each year we're able to reduce our total waste. So that's really exciting. We have been able to reduce the amount of waste um, by implementing reusable cups. So we're looking at even a, a more sustainable reusable cup this year as well. Um, but to answer your question, yes, we try to reduce our single-use plastics in particular wherever we can. We have a really great food vendor, um, SSA, who also has helped us with our daily food service um, with using all reusable um, there. So we try to reduce waste wherever we can. I am so proud of you. I can't even stand it. You know, the, and <laughs> what, what that tells me is that uh, everybody can do this, but it makes, you have to make the effort. And, you know, Absolutely. when you were talking about how those uh, little baby turtles had it internally, you know, everybody was on that big deal when they saw the straw up the turtle's nose. Okay, that's a visual impactful thing. But when it's out of sight, out of mind, it doesn't uh, it doesn't affect people like that. So when you're talking about it's internal, obviously, you know, it's all in the water. It's everywhere now. It is uh, that, you know, unless we do something about it, it's not going to get any better. And and it's not the straws. Giving up your straw is, I mean, yay, I'm glad you do. But that's not the answer. There's a, a lot more to do. And I'm so glad that you did it. So Absolutely. I'm thrilled. That's a, a great point that, you know, it's, it's nice to use the straw to keep people's foot in the door as sure. far as reducing plastics, but I, I'm now encouraging people. I think it gets very confusing, and there's a lot of, unfortunately, greenwashing that oh, is yeah. occurring as people realize that there is uh, you know, money to be made in, in making things more sustainable. Um, but oftentimes it's really confusing for for people that are trying to make the right choices to to choose the most sustainable option. Um, you know, it all depends on how things are made and how far they're shipped and how they're disposed of. And that's yes. really complicated and people are busy. So I just emphasize if you can, if you've got any time to spend, try to figure out how to do reusable because that is going to be probably the best investment of your time because reusable is going to be the most sustainable every time. I carry a spoon, a fork and a knife and a cloth napkin in my vehicle at all times. I love it. Yeah. You're prepared. Yeah. And that's the <laughs> She's thing. She's ready to eat on the road. I am. <laughs> Because I like to eat, and but I can't participate in that. So that's wonderful. So, Kenny, I, I've just been hogging the mic, so you just go for it. It's okay today because I'm 
You're a sick. Little, yeah. <laughs> so, Amy, can you tell us how long has the Brevard Zoo had a sustainability department or like dedicated staff members? Yeah. Um, it has had a dedicated position beginning since 2019, but the story goes back um, many years to our green team, which is a dedicated group of, of people from each department that volunteered their time to try and uh, push our sustainability efforts forward. We did realize there over the years, though, there, there's just so many challenges when you're a group of volunteers trying to accomplish things. Um, working for a not-for-profit, we're always limited on you know, the number of staff we have and the amount of time that we have. Our resources are limited. And so actually back in 2014, we, we proposed the idea of a uh, director of sustainability. And unfortunately, it was not. A civil authority has issued tornado warning for the following counties or areas. Sarasota, Florida. At 11.22 a.m. on March 13, 2023 effective until 11.37 a.m. A tornado warning remains in effect until 1.130 a.m. EDT for northwestern Sarasota County. At 1.121 a.m. EDT. A severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located over South Sarasota, or near Sarasota, moving east at 20 miles per hour. Hazard, tornado, source, radar indicated rotation, impact, flying debris will be dangerous to those caught without shelter. Mobile homes will be damaged or destroyed. Damage to roofs, windows, and vehicles will occur. Tree damage is likely. This dangerous storm will be near. Southgate Ridge around 1,125 a.m. EDT. Sarasota Springs and Southgate around 1,130 a.m. EDT. Other locations impacted by this tornadic thunderstorm include Bee Ridge and Fruitville. Tornado, radar indicated max hail size, less than 0.75 and take cover now. Move to an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. Avoid windows. If you are outdoors, in a mobile home, or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. We're talking about the Indian River Lagoon. Can you talk about some uh, organism? Well, first, can you tell us how much do you work at the zoo and how much are you off grounds? That is a great question. So um, we are zoo employees, our whole team of about, you know, seven or eight staff are zoo employees. We work in the conservation department with Amy. So Amy's within the same department as me. Um, and we, you know, our office uh, was at the zoo and we've actually grown, you know, our programs have grown so much and the zoos, all the other zoos, other programs have grown so much that we've actually moved off site. So last August, we moved to our own um, off site office, like about 20 minutes away from the zoo. Um, but we work, you know, 
80 plus percent of the time out in the lagoon. Um, we do very little in the zoo other than trying to, you know, educate guests when we can about our programs. But mostly we work with the community. So with, you know, hundreds of volunteers a year to install restored oyster reefs in the Indian River Lagoon, plant clams back into the lagoon. And now we're raising seagrass as well. So we're building a seagrass nursery in South Melbourne Beach to be able to replant the seagrass that we've lost in the Indian River Lagoon, start to do some pilot restoration projects with those um, species. I'm glad you mentioned those bivalves and the seagrass because everybody loves a manatee, everybody loves a sea turtle, but I just do not know how much charisma a oyster <laughs> or a clam emits. Not so. necessarily the charismatic megaphone. <laughs> you know, everybody loves That's sea funny. turtles and manatees, um, but they're all interconnected. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Olivia, can you tell us why we should care about oysters? Mm. So oysters are amazing. The National Weather Service in Ruskin has issued a tornado warning for southern Manatee County in west-central Florida, northwestern Sarasota County in west-central Florida, until noon Eastern Daylight Time. At 11.29 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time, a severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located over Lake Sarasota, or near Sarasota, moving east at 25 miles an hour. Hazard, tornado. Source, radar indicated rotation. Impact, flying debris will be dangerous to those caught without shelter. Mobile homes will be damaged or destroyed. Damage to roofs, windows, and vehicles will occur. Tree damage is likely. This tornadic thunderstorm will remain over mainly rural areas of southern Manatee and northwestern Sarasota counties, including the following locations, Gator Creek Estate, Bee Ridge, Hidden River, and Fruitville. Take cover now. If your home is flooded, avoid flood waters. If possible, take shelter in an interior room. Avoid windows. If you are outdoors, in a mobile home, or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. Repeating, a tornado warning has been issued until noon Eastern Daylight Time for the following county, Manatee, Florida. that the bacteria feed on on the bottom of the reef. So it's kind of a complicated process and I'm definitely oversimplifying it. Um, do the scallops do the same thing? Scallops? You know, I don't know that much about scallops because okay. we don't have them in the Indian River Lagoon oh. like you guys do over on the West Coast. Right. But you mentioned are, clams. Yes, we oh, also okay. clams. So they're, clams. They're not all the same. They're not no. all the same. <laughs> no, I knew that, but I was just yeah. thinking about the scallops. I didn't realize that we were, you know, selective in our areas that way. Yeah. That's interesting. Scallops may do the same thing. What's special about oysters and clams is they're not mobile like scallops. So they're staying in the same place for a very, very long time. So as they're filtering, those biodeposits are staying, you know, around them and creating concentrated areas where that bacteria uh, will go through that denitrification process. So we also work with clams, which um, live in a very different environment than oysters. 
So the Indian River Lagoon is a brackish water system. So it's an estuary where the fresh water meets with the salty Atlantic Ocean water. Um, and clams, oysters kind of prefer the fresher areas around our tributaries where we have that fresh water meeting the saltier water, where clams really prefer to be closer to our inlets where the salinity is much higher, so saltier water. And unlike oysters, they don't create reefs. Um, they don't grow one on top of another. Clams live in the sediment, um, but they can be in high densities as well, um, which will promote uh, those biodeposits and the denitrification, uh, denitrifying bacteria. A civil authority has issued tornado warning for the following counties or areas. Monetee, Sarasota, Florida, at 11.29 a.m. on March 13, 2023, effective until 12.14 p.m. The National Weather Service in Ruskin has issued a tornado warning for Southern Monetee County in West Central Florida, Northwestern Sarasota County in West Central Florida, until noon EDT. At 1,129 a.m. EDT, a severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located over Lake Sarasota, or near Sarasota, moving east at 25 miles per hour. Hazard, tornado, source, radar indicated rotation, impact, flying debris will be dangerous to those caught without shelter. Mobile homes will be damaged or destroyed. Damage to roofs, windows, and vehicles will occur. Tree damage is likely. This tornadic thunderstorm will remain over mainly rural areas of southern Monetee and northwestern Sarasota counties, including the following locations. Gator Creek Estate, Bee Ridge, Hidden River and Fruitville. Tornado, radar indicated max hail size, less than 0.75 and take cover now. If your home is flooded, avoid flood waters. If possible, take shelter in an interior room. Avoid windows. If you are outdoors, in a mobile home, or in a vehicle, move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. And we place that into the water um, in different designs. Um, most of the time, it's a skinny oyster bar, so pretty close to shore. Um, Subtitle, so all of our oysters are underwater all the time, um, which makes life difficult for them. Uh, but life finds a way. And um, we do still have some adult oysters in uh, our portion of the lagoon that are spawning. So those oysters, as they spawn in kind of early summer or springtime, and then again in late fall, they're uh, broadcast spawners like corals. So they're releasing their eggs and their sperm into the water column, and the eggs become fertilized. And the first three weeks of an oyster's life is the only time they're swimming around. 
And this process is all very similar for clams too, except clams, um, they settle into sand, whereas oysters settle onto other oyster shells. So those larvae, they're swimming around for two or three weeks and they're looking for hard substrate to grow on. And they're actually attracted to the calcium carbonate in oyster shells. So we place our restoration projects that again, are mostly just the dead clean oyster shell on the bottom of the lagoon and they're able to attract oyster larvae that's already in the water. So we don't really have to work with aquaculture facilities to produce oysters because we already have oh, that's spawning wonderful. oysters in the lagoon. That's wonderful. So you're not bringing in another, you know, could be sort of semi-different species, actually, if you did seed it from another place. So you're able we to do use all of your... We seed our reefs in certain areas where recruitment is low. So recruitment is the ability for oysters to settle in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, the projects that we're building are far enough away from significant adult populations that we're not able to get enough oysters. And so we will seed the projects and work with an aquaculture facility, but we actually collect the parent or broodstock oysters from the lagoon itself. Oh, that's excellent. So you're bringing what you have back. Oh, exactly. That's great. So good, we're good job using. Thank you. <laughs> and again, we do the same things for clams. It's almost the exact same story, except clams. We've lost so many in the lagoon that we don't really have the adults anymore to spawn. So oh. we do have to work with an aquaculture facility um, for those animals. So we collect clams from the Indian River Lagoon, remaining clams, produce them with an aquaculture facility, and then plant them into sandy bottom sediments. And you think that they died out because of all, all the pollution that had happened? Is that how that did? Is that what happened? So there's no silver bullet for either of these species of why we lost so many. Um, but the biggest piece of the puzzle is water quality. So not necessarily, um, you know, so many algae blooms like what's happened to seagrass, but salinity is really, really important for yeah. both of these species. Yeah. So clams, you know, we had a really, really large fishery for clams in the Indian River Lagoon in the 80s, 70s, and 90s. And those years, we actually experienced drought in the area. So the lagoon was saltier yes. than it is now. And um, that provided a perfect opportunity for the clams to kind of explode all over the lagoon. Um, and the conditions were really, really favorable for them. And now we have so much fresh water from stormwater pumping into the lagoon um, at very unnatural cycles and levels that the salinity is lower and unfavorable for clams in many parts of the lagoon. So we actually planted a hundred very small pilot um, clam beds over the last two years. And the majority of those, probably over 70% suffered really high mortality because they were in too fresh of areas. Whereas, so, mm -hmm. so if you put them closer to the ocean end, is that a doable thing or is that just non, is that non, I don't know, that's not doable. Is that, is yeah, that something so, that can work? Because that sounds reasonable to me. Yeah, so our most successful projects were very close to the inlet. So yeah. moving forward, we're really focusing on those sites. This, The last big project that we did, the 100 clam beds, was really for site selection to figure out where is this restoration possible. Yeah. You know, yeah. we weren't assuming that every clam would survive. Yeah. Um, so unfortunately, sometimes you can learn more from 
I don't want to call it a failure, but you can learn more from failures like that. When you see things, um, restoration projects not succeed, yeah. that helps you learn where they will succeed and where you should focus efforts. So sure. um, we had a lot of amazing growth of clams kind of farther south in the Indian River Lagoon around the Sebastian Inlet, if people are familiar with the area. It's a beautiful area. Yes. So we're focusing our projects um, in those areas moving forward because we think, you know, there is a possibility that we can restore clams to that part of the lagoon and have them um, naturally occurring again. And then it would clean all the area. I mean, it's just a, a win-win. You know, it's funny because you were saying, you know, they, they uh, the oysters specifically you're speaking about, that they clean certain amount of, uh, of the waste. And I don't think people put that together, that if that circle is broken, then mm-hmm. it gets more broken until it fails completely. So if we can note what is going on in the very beginning of the crack in that circle and and fix it, then we don't have all that uh, fall apart at the end. So good for you. Good for you. Yeah, it's certainly a big negative feedback loop. (laughs) Trying to break it. (laughs) The Brevard Zoo is an AZA accredited facility and AZA is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And it demonstrates like exemplary animal care and welfare and education and inspiring guest experiences. So, Olivia, are you going to AZA conferences and learning how to do this restoration? Or are you going to other conferences and then you implement it and then you go to AZA and you report back and tell others using aquariums that they could be also doing this inspiring work? Yes. That is an amazingly unique question that, that I've is. never gotten before. I love that question, too. Um, Don't be modest, Olivia. It's good. <laughs> so, actually, I go to other conferences. Um, so, I go to conferences, national conferences like Restore America's Estuaries to learn how other um, rest, more restoration groups or universities um, or even, um, you know, the state of Florida or the state state of North Carolina and their natural resources groups are restoring these estuarine um A civil authority has issued tornado warning for the following counties or areas Monetti Sarasota, Florida. At 11.40 a.m. on March 13, 2023 effective until 12.10 p.m. A tornado warning remains in effect until noon EDT for southwestern Monetee and north-central Sarasota counties. At 1,139 a.m. EDT, a severe thunderstorm capable of producing a tornado was located over Lake Sarasota, or 9 miles east of Sarasota, moving east at 25 miles per hour. Hazard, tornado, source, radar indicated rotation, impact, flying debris will be dangerous to those caught without shelter, mobile homes will be damaged or destroyed, damage to roofs, windows, and vehicles will occur, tree damage is likely, locations impacted include, hidden river, tornado, radar indicated max hail size, less than 0.75 and take cover now. Move to an interior room on the lowest floor of a sturdy building. Avoid windows. If you are outdoors, in a mobile home, or in a vehicle, 
move to the closest substantial shelter and protect yourself from flying debris. have been going on at the zoo for you know longer than I've been at the zoo I definitely you know didn't start all these programs um, and it all started with uh, the zoo answering the call um, you know Brevard Zoo we were built by volunteers in uh, 1994 and we hold the Guinness World Record for largest community zoo build. And we're outnumbered by volunteers two to one on property. So <laughs> volunteers are really like ingrained in our history. And um, since the inception of the zoo, we have always wanted and strived to answer the call in the community. What does our community need help with? And uh, in the mid kind of late uh, 2010s, <laughs> um, the University of Central Florida was doing a lot of oyster restoration work up in Volusia County. So north um, Indian River Lagoon, north of Brevard County, and approached the zoo because we had such um, an amazing reputation in the community of being able to work with volunteers. And we worked with UCF on the oyster mat restoration program. So um, hosting a lot of different workshops throughout Brevard County and other counties to make oyster mats to restore the populations up in Mosquito Lagoon. Very different system, so they used a little bit of different materials than we do, but that's really how this all started. And then in 2014, Brevard County Natural Resources came to the zoo and said, you know, you guys are doing such amazing work up in Mosquito Lagoon. Why don't you try to restore oysters right here in your own backyard? Um, so we started working with Brevard County Natural resources and it kind of snowballed from there <laughs> that's so great that's so great you know speaking of uh helping your community we have uh, lisa has called in on the line and i want to put her on the air lisa are you there Yes, this is Lisa Pineda. How are yeah, you? yeah. Lisa's going to uh, let us know some events that have been are going to happen that people can go to. So thank you for being on, Lisa. Go ahead. Thank you, Annie. Uh, yes, I was calling. Uh, it, I'm going to start. Usually I start with St. Pete, but I'm going to start with Hillsborough this time because uh, this week we have a really cool event happening in Tampa. It's the Grown Communities Workshop, and that's going to be at the Residence Inn at 4012 Tampa Road in Oldsmar. I said Tampa, sorry, Old Mark. <laughs> that's going to be this uh, this week, from March 16th and 17th. That's Thursday and Friday from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. And to register for that, people can go to uh, charlie at communitygarden.org. And that's charlie, the I-E, C-H-A-R-L-I-E at communitygarden.org. And uh, Charlie's number is 404-358-7842. Or you can contact Kitty Wallace, and her number is 813 813- Nine nine two zero nine four zero, and now going to St. Petersburg. Uh, one of my favorites is the SUAC meeting is coming up in April. It's a little bit off, but uh, put it on your calendar because we're going to have a great speaker, and it, and he's very uh, close, near and dear to my heart because a former student and graduate from University of Florida is going to be speaking, and uh, the topic is uh, going to be Vasilio Casamacos, and his topic is going to be. I want to make sure I say it correctly. It is, um, he's a graduate of the Edible Peace Patch Project, founder of the Boca Ciega High School Garden Club, and the 2022 graduate with majors in sustainability studies and international studies with minors in wildlife ecology and conservation 
and anthropology. So he's going to be joining the Peace Corps and going to Paraguay this September. Fantastic. Yeah, he's going uh, to be speaking about the, uh, the water the waterways in Florida and how they're all interconnected and how we need to preserve them. So that's going to be April 3rd from 6.30 to 8 p.m. at Enoch Davis Center, which is in St. Petersburg. And it also happens to be Sustainable Urban Agriculture, which is SUAC. Uh, it's our 11th anniversary that we're going to be celebrating. So last year we were virtual, so we didn't get to have a celebration. So we're going to be celebrating our our 10-year slash 11-year anniversary. <laughs> Double it up. <laughs> so I hope everyone can come out. Where is that, Lisa? That is at Enoch Davis Center in St. Petersburg. It's uh, going from memory, 1101. Uh, 18th Avenue South. And that's uh, what day and what time? That is April 3rd from 6.30 to 8 p.m. Thank you so much for calling in. Really appreciate you. Look out. There's a bunch of events coming up in April. I was trying to pick and I'm like, let's just highlight two and next week we can highlight a bunch of them. Coming yeah, up that's the thing. There's so many. Uh, and I go to Evite uh, the, uh, so you can get a lot of different things from the Hillsborough uh, situation here on that as well. So thanks again. I appreciate you calling in. We'll talk later. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, great, Kenny. And, and- and remember, wherever, whatever county you're in, you can go to Evite, type in sustainable, yes. and then all those events will come up. Yes. So we only have a couple minutes left, so let's wrap it up with Amy. Um, obviously, you're talking about the Brevard Zoo and all these sustainability of, uh, implements, but can you give us some suggestions of how we can begin to be more sustainable at your own home? Very good. Definitely. Um, so I always tell people, start small. I know sometimes it's, it's just like working out or anything. If you shoot for a really, really um, difficult goal, sometimes it feels a little overwhelming and you give up. So I always say start small. So I thinking, like we talked about earlier, reducing and reusing. So looking around your house and just kind of making a commitment that when um, the thought pops up, like, oh, I need to go out and purchase something, maybe just take a look around and see if you can repurpose something around your own home or even reaching out to friends and family. And, you know, if it's something you're not going to use all of the time, maybe seeing if you can just share an item. Um, So I think starting small like that. And then once you get those things as a really a good, consistent habit, kind of just building upon that. Um, I always tell people if they're looking for something a little more impactful to do, um, I really think food waste is a great place for people to start at home. Um, food waste may not seem like much, but it's the sing- food is the single biggest component of our country's landfills. And so just doing simple things like um, shopping in your own pantry and your fridge um, and getting creative with recipes using things that are close to their expiration date um, can have a really huge impact. Um, global food waste contributes about 10% of greenhouse gas emissions. And so, you know, just tossing a few things here and there may not seem like much, but the average American actually sends uh, 200 pounds of food to the landfill every year. So that's one that I always encourage people to do. Um, We also have a lot of ways for our community to get involved. We do uh, electronics recycling here at the zoo. Um, That's our EcoCell program. And the reason we focus on that is because um, some of the components that are in electronics are mined in places like the Congo, which is home to many endangered species like the bongo, um, which is an animal that we have here at our zoo. And so we encourage people by recycling their electronics, it reduces the need for for mining in those areas. And so that's the connection with wildlife. So we always try to connect it back to nature and to wildlife as well. 
So they're able to uh, retrieve that mined substance out of the electronics and reuse it? Correct. That's yep. wonderful. Good job. Yeah, thank you. And then we also serve um, certified bird-friendly coffee here at the zoo. Um, so even, you know, just visiting the zoo, you can make those sustainable choices. Um, having a cup of coffee here um, is the, it's the most sustainable certification that a coffee can receive. So not only is it organic and fair trade, um, but a certified bird-friendly coffee also maintains um, the natural canopy and, and habitat um, in that shade-grown coffee region. And so that is in really important to migratory bird species and other species. So, well. so the thing for people can do is read their labels and see Absolutely. what is on there. And uh, if there's things in there that they're tearing out the, the rainforest and putting in palms, uh, you want to make sure that you're looking at that and don't purchase. So Absolutely. that's one of the yep. things that you're talking about, I believe. Yep, making sustainable purchases is something that um, is, is a really great place for people to begin. Yes. Kenny, anything for you? We're just about out of time. We only have a few more minutes. Yeah, Amy, can you just tell uh, the listeners how they can learn more about the sustainability efforts at the Brevard Zoo? Absolutely. Um, our website is a great place for all sorts of information. Um, Olivia and I only scratched the surface of what our conservation team <laughs> Does we um, she didn't mention that her oyster program has won the North American Conservation Award for the Association of Zoos and Aquariums? Yes, good for you for telling. Um, and our sustainability program won the Association of Zoos and Aquariums um, Innovation Award for our sustainability oh, efforts. So we right. we work on so many different things here at the zoo. Um, so we we help to breed endangered species and release them back to their native range, and all of that information. Um, can be found on our website. We have a link to the Restore Our Shores website. Um, we have great blogs that cover ways to be sustainable at home and a lot of the um, wildlife conservation efforts that we do. And um, our marketing team does a great job writing blogs on all of those. That's fantastic. Did we want to hear from Olivia for one minute? <laughs> Olivia, got anything to add? I think Amy did a great job <laughs> um, kind of letting everybody know the the website really is the best place to find um, more information. So that's brevardzoo.org. And that's um, where they can learn how to be a volunteer with you? So, yes. So you can find the Restore Our Shores website through the Brevard Zoo's website. We do have our own website, and that's restoreourshores.org. And there's a volunteer page. Um, and we have lots of events, usually a couple things going on every week out in the Indian River Lagoon. If you're local to the Space Coast area or you're planning a trip and you're like, hey, I'm going to be there for the weekend. Let's see what um, the zoo's conservation team is up to. You can join us in the field. I love the idea that we could go on there and find out when those parties are uh, and go to that <laughs> blues jazz thing. That sounds great yeah. to me. It's, it's a very calendar. fun event. Yeah. It's the first Saturday in November each year. Okay. So come have a good time and you don't have to worry about the waste. We've got that handled. Yay! I don't need to bring my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Amy yeah. and Olivia. That was a great, great fantastic. show. Thanks for having us. We Thank appreciate you for it. having us. So, Annie, I'm going to tell listeners what is going on next week, yep, but then you can do the rest of it. So okay. next week, I'm going to be talking about a GFI number six, number 263. What now, is this? this is a law. I know it doesn't sound sexy, but it is. <laughs> it's a law that is putting antimicrobials into the hands of veterinarians. Oh, so wow. up until June, you can buy uh, antibiotics for your 
chickens, your goats, your cows over the counter. Uh-huh. And you can do it whenever you want. You can give your animals medicine whenever you want. But the problem is we're getting antimicrobial resistance. Right. And it's not in the people, or no, rather, it's not in the animals. It's affecting the people now. It's going into the hospitals and things like that. Oh. So we're going to be talking about that. And we will also be hearing from the CEO of the Central Florida Zoo, Richard Glover, about his sustainable efforts. Very good. Kenny, you're wonderful. I hope you feel better. Uh, and if you want to hear any more public uh, interest programs, switch over to WMNF's HD3 channel, The Source, and listen to today's Tom Hartman Show Live. Uh, Flea is coming on next.